the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Anyone who has watched the holiday classic, It's a Wonderful Life, can fondly recall Clarence, the lovable guardian angel sent to Earth to aid George Bailey in his time of need. Clarence helped George see the value in his life, and George helped Clarence earn his wings. This touching story has led many to wonder if there really are angels by our side and what their role may be in our lives. Today's guest, Lorna Byrne, has been seeing and talking to angels since she was a baby. Lorna offers us a unique insight into the angelic help that is available to us all the time. As Lorna says, all you have to do is ask. Lorna is a spiritual teacher, international best-selling author, and philanthropist. She's the author of seven best-selling books, including Angels in My Hair, A Message of Hope from the Angels. Welcome, Lorna. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's my pleasure to be talking with you, Joan. So let's have fun. Well, I am so excited about our conversation because I have always been fascinated with the topic of angels. Uh, and, and, I, and I believe that angels are with us all the time. So I'm really excited about hearing what you have to say. But I want to start off by talking a little bit about your life and your backstory. What is your earliest memory of seeing an angel? And my first memory of seeing seeing an angel now, I was an infant and um, just lying in my cot and, and trying to reach up and touch them. Um, I didn't know they were angels. And say maybe when I was about, you know, two, two and a half playing with my my brother, um, Christopher, in front of the fire. And it was when we were playing with little blocks my dad had, had made and um, our hands touched. And it was like as if his hand went into mine and mine went into his. And he, what would I say? All as I can say is I just felt so much love and I laughed and giggled because I was only a young child. And it was at that moment that the angels had said that they were angels. And my little brother was a soul. I didn't know. I didn't know that. And I was to keep it a secret. So I have seen the angels. They have guided me all the way through my life. You know, I see a guardian angel with every single human being across the world. Um, and, and when you lose a loved one, they're, they're not dead. It's only their physical body. And they can be right there beside you as well at the moments that, that you need them. And that kind of leads to one of the questions that I wanted to ask you about angels. Were they human at one point? How did they come to be in the, in the role that they have and that the job that they have? Um, that's a lovely question. Angels were created long, long, long ago, and um, before you and I were even thought of in any in any way. Um, it's like as if that's the first thing that God had created was was these angels. And every soul, so every human being has a guardian angel, and they're there all of the time um, for us to help us to guide us. And there's many other angels as well. And the soul of your loved one, can, I, I love that part of the question as well. Your soul, your soul and the soul of your loved one is more than any angel ever could be. You know the way we put angels on pedestals? Well, the angels have us on pedestals. It should be the opposite way around. And I love that. And 
And when when someone says, my loved one is an angel in heaven, and the angels love that. They love that expression of love. But your loved one is more than any angel ever could be. Lorna, I think that's beautiful because I've lost my entire family, my parents and my siblings. And to have the, the belief that they are always with me, I think that's so comforting and it's just so beautiful. Yeah, no, the, the souls of your loved ones are always with you. They they come and go. They're there every second you need them. It's like time doesn't, it's, you know, the way time, we have everything set in time as a human being. But the soul of your loved one and the angels and even God doesn't have everything set in time because there's no such thing as time, really. Um, so I, I do love that. Sometimes, you know, I might look out the window out onto the street and I would see the soul of a loved one walking with someone as well as the guardian angel and maybe other angels as well. And I would often see the soul of a loved one whispering into someone's ear, you know, into, into the person. How would I say the soul of your loved one, when you're grieving, they do everything to help you to to grieve, to get used to the loss of them humanly, but they are there spiritually with you. And, and, and to me, that's just a very important thing to remember. And they're perfect. If they had been sick or killed or whatever may have happened, and their soul is perfect. They are perfect. They are happy. They're they're full of joy. They they don't hold any anger or hate. All of that is gone. And it's like how would I say they're pure love, and that's what your soul is is pure love. So Lorna, if angels are, go ahead, please. I was going to say, you know, sometimes when someone loses a loved one, they, they would tell me that, you know, I had a row with them, you know, and they must be angry with me. The soul of your loved one is never angry with you or never hates you, loves you and adores you. Lorna, you said we have a guardian angel. Is that person assigned to us from cradle to death? Yes, um, I love I love that. That guardian angel was assigned to you before you were even conceived. When your soul was created in heaven, that angel was was assigned, and that angel came with you at the moment of conception and stays with you, never leaves you for one second. Like I know people often laughed at that, and, and they would say, "Oh, was my guardian angel in the bathroom with me? What would they think of that?" And of course, your guardian angel will be in the bathroom with you, but your guardian angel just sees this beautiful person. And that is unique and your guardian angel loves you unconditionally. You know, they have so much love for us and is the gatekeeper of your soul just wants to protect you as much as possible, but it can't overstep your free will. So you always have the choice and um, to say yes or no to something in that in that way. So your guardian angel never, never leaves you. Is our guardian angel kind of in the background pulling the strings, you know, like guiding us? And and how can we befriend, for lack of a better word, using a human word, how can we learn to identify who this angel is? And is there a way we can befriend it? I, I always say to, to everyone, um, you know, just say hello to your guardian angel. You know, you give yourself a chance. Give yourself a chance to have more faith and to believe that there's more in life and that, that you have a soul that's a spark of light of God and that you have been given this guardian angel as a gift and it's here in this world with you. And, and even then when you die, your human body dies, it goes straight to heaven with you. It can never be anyone else's guardian angel. It's always yours. And I would just say the first thing to do is say hello to your guardian angel you know, and then when you're ready, ask for its name. It can give you part of its name because the guardian angel's name seems to have so many letters in it. That's what they have showed me. And I, I don't understand this. And, and it usually is the first thought that comes into your mind. Or it could be a sign that you're given. You, you have asked, but nothing crossed your mind at all. And suddenly somebody says, oh, I love this song called whatever it may be called. And sometimes that can be your guardian angel's name. You know that's your guardian angel's name. And it can be such a simple name, but maybe not a name that you understand. It could be a name in another language or a language that you have never heard. Or it could be 
you know, your guardian angel's name could be yes. You know, it can be so simple in mm-hmm. that in that way. Your guardian angel's name can be John or Murray or whatever name sometimes that you recognize, but it's only part of your guardian angel's name, a tiny part. And never think of changing it. Never, you know, when, when you receive it, don't doubt it. You know, you could have asked and you're reading a book and suddenly a particular word stands out. And as you keep reading the book, turning the pages, you're finding this word is standing out all of the time. That's your guardian angel trying to tell you, that's my name. And so our angels are here to guide us. And, you know, talking from a human point of view, because especially me, I'm the type of person that needs to see things and get answers. And so, you know, we're, we're having to act on faith. But are they always making their presence known, but we just miss it? Yes. The angels are always making their presence known and and we just miss it because in the sense of we're looking for a human sign so clear that um, we believe that that we would trip over it. You know what I mean? Right. That In that way. Um, so your guardian angel is always giving signs and, and one of the most common signs that people ask for is a feather. But if, if you're having an issue, it's like... You know, ask your guardian angel for for help and, you know, do your best to listen, but don't over listen. It's like you suddenly know you should make that phone call or you suddenly know I should go to the shops now or I should go to my boss and ask this question. It's always in, in the sense it's always made quite clear to you that we doubt ourselves. And sometimes then we kind of because... Everybody else is giving us advice, telling us to go, you know, the other direction or to say something completely different. So in a sense, we ignore our guardian angel and we go and say what everyone else is telling us to say or we go in that other direction. And everyone knows this happens to us many, many a times. You know, when you kick yourself and you say, that's an expression we use here in Ireland, we kick ourselves and we say, I knew I should have said the other thing or I knew I should have gone the other way. Um, so I would always say, try try and listen. It's like sometimes I use the example, if you have a glass of water on the table or a cup of tea and you're being told to move it, now it could be anything. And for, you know, you don't bother move it, but then later on it gets knocked over or it gets spilt or, or you forget it. It could be you know, something that you were to take with you um, and you knew you were to put it in your bag at that time, but you didn't, you know, and then you forgot it. It's saying, oh, that was your guardian angel telling you, put it into your bag now. You see the angels at work in, in your life. I mean, I just came off of a weekend. I had a challenging weekend personally. And as soon as Monday came around, the first thing I saw was this, I, I had stayed off social media and as soon as I went on LinkedIn on Monday, I saw this quote that was a direct, it was a direct answer, really, a response to what I had gone through all weekend. And since then, I've had four different occurrences that were directly helping me with what I just went through. And I believe it was my guardian angel and and anyone else that I've been calling in to help. And so I I think when we take the time and we're mindful and we pay attention, I, I think we would see these miracles all day long. Yeah, I we we definitely would see them more because they happen every day in, in our lives, every every minute. Um, but I think at times we're just so so stressed, and you know, you didn't miss on Monday seeing that message. That was a message for you, but it was probably a message as well for millions of other people across the world. But they missed it. Mm-hmm. They may have seen it, but missed it. You know, in that in that way. Um, and I, I suppose again, it's you know we are so stressed at times that we don't stop, you know, and slow down, you know, and and just say to ourselves, I want to connect. I know I'm going to get through this. I know I'm going to have the, the strength. I know I'm going to have the courage, and I can take one step at a time. That's one thing the angels have always taught me. You know, take one step at a time. You know, and and don't be so worried if, you know, you're heading in one direction and then suddenly, you know, you have to turn, go and turn. Um, I, I suppose maybe 
just to say to your your listeners, I don't really read. I know I have written the books, but I'm severely dyslexic. And, you know, the angels have been there in my life all, all of the time. And they have guided me. And I guess, you know, just like there's loads of miracles in my life, there is loads of miracles in your life as well. And it is, in a sense, maybe for, for listeners, for others out there, just to sit back for a moment and allow yourself to see those blessings, to see those miracles, because they're all around you. And the biggest miracle is that you, you're alive. You know, you have a guardian angel, you have a soul, you have friends. I know you said your family, you have lost most of your family, but you still have family. God provides family in different ways as well. You know, they come in through through friends, through friendships, and they may come and go, but they're, they're there for the time that you need them. And not to be afraid of, you know, asking for help. The angels have always taught me, Archangel Michael and Archangel Gabriel and Angel Hosis, they would say to me, you're fearful and you're afraid. You know, even as a child, when I had to cross the stream, they would tell me, don't be afraid. Just look, we'll guide you. Take one step at a time. And I would always get to the far side. We will all make it to the far side. And then again, when we get to the far side, it's it's our choice what we want to do next. Laura, when you say you see angels, what do you actually see? Um, I, I see them physically. If you were here in the room with me, I would see your guardian angel. Now, when, when I was a child, I saw the guardian angel in its full glory, as I, I call it, because they're a different light than other angels. Um, so they close down that light. So most of the time, I just see a beam of light behind someone, unless um, that guardian angel wants to convey something to me about the person. You know, may, maybe I have to pray and ask for, for the person in, in some way. Um, other times, just like Archangel Michael, no, um, people have said to me, Lorna, I saw you with this um, young man who was he, and I knew they were talking about Archangel Michael, um, and he would always dress in the clo- clothing um, of wherever I am. One of the, the incidents I have put in angels in my hair, and that's where I was walking in Maynooth College, and Archangel Michael came along and walked with me and he was dressed as a priest and I had to smile because two priests that passed us by um, with their prayer books um, said hello to Archangel Michael, you know, and said good morning to him. They completely ignored me as if I was invisible, but they saw him and that has happened. I always say to people to remember if, if if you see an angel, they're perfect. Even their clothing is perfect, and and you will notice the light about them. And um, they dim that light. But many people around the world will claim that they saw an angel, or an angel helped them, or an angel was there talking to them during a trauma that they were going through. And sometimes that is, you know, what what you call it a life saving. You know, maybe an accident, and and sometimes. You know, they would say to to the rescue workers or the ambulance men, you know, where where is the other person gone? The other doctor that has been here with me all the time. Mm-hmm. And the ambulance crew turn around and say, we're the first on the scene. So you angels know, can take human form. They, yeah, they they do. Um, on on occasions, they do that. Um, for me, I see them physically, as I said, I see you. But to me, that's normal. I don't know what the world looks like through your eyes because I have seen them and I always thought they were part of my family. I thought my mom and dad saw them. And as I, I grew, I realized, you know, how important it was to keep it a secret because they kept on reminding me constantly. But again, that was because I'm dyslexic and way back in Ireland, if you had any learning difficulty, you were considered retired you know. But look at where I am now. So I can read or write. It doesn't matter. Lorna, why do you, you know, think I you were chosen? I, I, I don't know, because to me, I'm just an ordinary person. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know. 
And sometimes I would say to God, you know, why didn't you choose someone else? I would often say to God, why didn't you choose a man? You know, why me? Why mm-hmm. why someone um, severely dyslexic with learning difficulties in that in that way and ended up with no education, you know, grew up very poor, you know, um, you know, so many ups and downs. Why because men I listen to, I would often argue with God, you know, saying that like the world will listen to a man but they don't listen to women in the same way, you know, in that in that way. And so I, I don't I don't really know, but you know, I believe everyone can see angels and I believe in the future because I have been shown in the future that everyone will see angels. We will see them physically like I see them. And a mother or a father or a grandparent will say to a child's guardian angel, I'm going down to the shops now, keep an eye on the little one and the guardian angel will respond to that grandparent or that mother. I know that will happen in the future. It's like I've been shown the intertwining. We're we're on a journey, a spiritual journey. The world is changing and it's it's to become conscious of our soul. We're not just, you know, a human being, we're a spiritual being as well. We have that spark of light that is enormous and yet so tiny. And it's like the intertwining of the body and the soul that we get to the stage where we don't get sick and this planet is fantastic it's absolutely beautiful and i know at the moment our planet is in danger and we are in in danger but there's great hope there we can do it i know we can god wouldn't have shown me so many incredible futures that all come together as one you know and unless they're going to happen are and you able to share any of those with us, Lorna? Well, well, I have been shown where, as I said, you know, everyone sees the angels. You know, they're, they're, they're part of our family, part of our community. Um, I have been shown where all religions and none pray together. There's no division anymore. There is so much love and compassion and hope. And where our planet, there's no such thing as war or there's how would I say it's it's like countries how would I say it I, I don't know what way I said it in one of the books but each country grows whatever food we grow and then we share it with the rest of the world we don't sell it we share it if, if there's a country that has had difficulty in you know maybe there wasn't enough rain or something like that um, and another country has surplus we send it we don't look for money and to me, that's such a big change because at the moment, everything is about money and wealth, you know, but, but to see that love and that compassion, it's like someone knocking on your door and they're hungry. I always remember being told a story about a little boy, you know, and he was hungry and he knocked on loads of doors. And then when he knocked on one door, the woman opened and she said, hold on. And she got him a glass of milk and she gave him that glass of milk. And that changed that little boy's life. You know, God brought him on a path because of that kindness, because of that love. And how would I say that little boy, as he grew, changed other people's lives as well. It's like a knock-on effect. We save our planet. um, So we have to become so conscious of our planet and, and nature. And the angels taught me everything out in nature. It's like we have forgotten how to, you know, reconnect again with our beautiful planet. That's a gift. You know, sometimes when you're given a gift for free, you kind of, you know, put no value on it. It doesn't matter if it breaks or, you know, all that kind of thing. And I suppose that's what we have done with our planet. It has been a gift and and we put no value on it. We just kept taking. Um, But there's lots of hope there. I want your listeners to know that. That is very important. And to give themselves a chance to believe in their guardian angel and to believe that they have a soul and and that your loved ones are right there with you as well. They're not dead, only their body. That is all. And you will see them again, you know, 
and our loved ones give us so many messages all of the time because your guardian angel calls them in because you have to remember you knew your loved one. You, what would you say, you could sense them, you could smell them. Like some people would say to me, I can smell my granny, I can smell my child and nobody smokes in my house. Um, but suddenly I got a smell of cigarettes and I knew it was my dad or my son or, or my daughter, you know, because they were alive humanly once. Luna, is there anything that we need to do? You were saying that the angels are going to make their presence more known and be a bigger part of our lives. Is there anything we need to do? Do we need to raise our vibration? Do we need to live with more kindness? What's the role we have in making that happen? I think the role that, that we all have is becoming conscious of our guardian angel. And again, with more love, compassion and hope and forgiveness you know, not to be not to be angry, to forgive and not to judge. And I believe we're getting there, even though we might think we're we're not. But I will never give up on hope. I will never give up on on mankind as as such. You know, so it's like you you can use the word raise your vibration, but it's no point raising your vibration if you're not going to love yourself and love others and love nature. You know, it's no good raising your vibrations if you're not going to look after nature as well, whether that is your garden, you know, or the birds around you or or any little critters around you. Um, When you see someone in tears or someone reaching out for a helping hand, if you can give them a helping hand, you, you must give them a helping hand. You know, and sometimes it's only opening a door or giving a smile. You know, those two simple things can save someone's life. You know, so if you're going to say to yourself, I want to raise my vibrations, I want to become more conscious of my soul, say good morning to your guardian angel, but say good morning to your soul as well. And and ask for the help to love you more so you can love the world more and everyone in it and all of nature so those vibrations can be coming from you, but you're receiving them as well. And it's changing everything that is all around you. The book is Angels in My Hair, A Message of Hope from the Angels. If you would like to learn more about Lorna and her work, you can visit LornaBurn.com. That's B-Y-R-N-E, LornaBurn.com. Lorna, in about 30 seconds or less, what is the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I would love to leave everyone with with love. You know, if you feel that you're not loved, remember I love you, God loves you, and your guardian angel loves you. You are loved, and to know that there is lots of hope, and I would never turn you away. You are loved. That's what I would love everyone to give, as much love as they can out into the world, but they must love themselves as well. Lorna, thank you so much for spending this time with us. You're welcome. My pleasure. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Contrary to the old adage, not all publicity is good publicity. Some can cause more harm than good. 
Hi, this is Joan Herman. As a public relations specialist, producer, and radio host who has conducted thousands of interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating, with listeners staying tuned in, or not. Being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, tips to be a successful sought-after radio and podcast guest, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit my website, joanherman.com slash media training. That's joanherman.com slash media training. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. The pressures and activities of daily life can wreak havoc on a love relationship. According to today's guest, Dr. Gary Chapman, each one of us has a primary love language, which when spoken, fills up our emotional love tank. And when we learn to speak a partner's primary love language, the love we share will be exciting beyond anything we have ever felt before. Dr. Chapman is here today to help us identify, understand, and learn how to speak a partner's primary love language. Welcome, Dr. Chapman. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Joan. It's great to be with you. Dr. Chapman, I'm, I'm so happy that you're here because this is really such an important topic, especially in light of the current divorce rate statistics. And in the opening of your book, The Five Love Languages, you write about a question that I believe so many people want answered. And I believe they want this answered because many who are part of a failed relationship really did try. I mean, they gave it everything that they had. And when the relationship ended, they didn't really understand what went wrong. So I want to begin with that question. What happens to love after the wedding? Well, I think, Joan, you know, we've studied the in-love phenomena uh, where we are swept along with these powerful emotions. Uh, But the average lifespan of that high is two years, and we come down off the high. But many, many couples are not aware of that. I was not aware of that. Mm -hmm. So when I came down off the high, And my wife and I had been dating for two years before we got married. So I came down pretty soon after the honeymoon. And I, you know, our differences emerged and we began arguing with each other. And before long, we didn't like each other. And I think this is what happens. Uh, People are not anticipating that they will come down off the high. They think if they have the real thing, it's going to last forever. Mm -hmm. And the reality is when we come down off the high, We have to now learn how to intentionally love each other or what I call the love tank, the emotional love tank, will get empty. And when the love tank is empty and we begin arguing with each other and we say hurtful things, in a while, we don't even want to be with each other. So I I think that's what happens in, in many, many marriages. Doctor, is it enough for one person in the relationship to have his or her love tank be filled You know, sometimes there are, you have the one partner who reads these books and who wants to really make the relationship work and the other person doesn't. So is that enough to make it last? Well, one person cannot create a good marriage, but one person can greatly influence their spouse. Let's face it, we are influencing each other, either negatively or positively, almost every day by the things we say and things we do. But because we so deeply need love, when you speak the love language of the other person and you do it consistently, you are beginning to get through to them that you genuinely love them. And there's something inside of them that responds to that. Uh, and, they, and they tend to respond then to, to speak your language. Now, you're exactly right. Often, one person reads my book and, mm-hmm. they, and they learn their love language, learn the spouse's love language. They try to speak it. And nothing happens. At least they don't see anything happening. And what I say is this. After you have spoken their language consistently every week for, say, two or three months, then you can start making requests of them. They may not automatically respond, but if you start saying to them at that juncture, honey, could you, uh, you think you could vacuum the floor for me this afternoon? There's a good chance they'll do it because they have been feeling love from you. 
Mm-hmm. And now you're giving them guidance as to what they could do if they choose to do. And many times they will respond to your request. So you can really teach the other person to speak your love language, even when they haven't read the book, have no idea what's going on, but you are influencing them by the power of love. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone will respond, Joan. You know, it's, it's no question about it. There are some people, you can love them in their love language, but their wires are so crossed or they have such anger or hurt or depression or whatever uh, that they don't respond. But I do believe it's the most powerful thing you can do to influence your spouse. Speak their love language. I want to talk about these five love languages briefly. The first one, quality time, what does that mean? It means giving your spouse your undivided attention. It's not simply being in the same room, you know, sitting on the couch watching television. Someone else has your attention. I'm talking about sitting on the couch, TV off, looking at each other, talking, interfacing, or taking a walk down the road and talking with each other or going out to eat, assuming that you talk to each other, (laughs) which is Mm -hmm. not always the case. Uh, But it's giving the person your undivided attention. Really, it doesn't always have to involve conversation. It can be uh, planting a flower garden together or some other activity. But the important thing about the activity is not the activity. It's that we are doing this together. So it's really focusing your attention on each other. So, Doctor, the next one, words of affirmation. That's when someone needs to hear verbal compliments in order to feel loved. Yes. You look nice in that outfit. Really appreciate what you did. You know one of the things I like about you are just the words, I love you, Mm -hmm. you know, spoken sincerely. Uh, And for some people, words are powerful. In fact, there's an ancient Hebrew proverb that says life and death is in the power of the tongue. We can kill each other or we can give each other life by the way we talk to each other. So, yes, for some people, if they don't receive affirming words, they don't feel loved. You can give them gifts and other things, but those are meaningless to them. What they're looking for is verbal affirmation. Okay, so, Doctor, you just mentioned the next one, and that's gifts. What does that encompass? It's actually giving gifts to the person. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's universal to give gifts as an expression of love. We have never discovered a culture where gift-giving is not an expression of love. It's universal. The gift says, they were thinking about me. Look what they got for me. And it doesn't have to be expensive. You know, you don't have to have money to give gifts. You can get a free flower in your backyard. But, you know, it's a matter of thinking about the person and what they might like Mm -hmm. and then choosing to get that, whether you purchase it or whether you find it as you're walking on a trail. Uh, But you give them something as an expression, I was thinking about you when I was away. Okay, doctor, so the fourth language then, acts of service. Doing things for the other person that you know they would like for you to do. In a marriage, that is such things as cooking a meal. That's a huge act of service. Or washing dishes, vacuuming floors, mm-hmm. walking the dog, changing the baby's diaper. You know, anything that you know the other person would like. You know the old saying, Joan, actions speak louder than words. Right. It's true for these people. It's not true for everyone, but it's true for these people. If this is their love language, Actions will speak louder than words. And the final one, physical touch. Physical touch. In a marriage relationship, that is such things as holding hands, kissing, embracing, the whole sexual part of the marriage, arm around the shoulder, driving down the road, you put your hand on their leg, by physical touch. So it's a powerful language of love. How do we know which is our language and how can we figure out what our partner responds to? We can receive love in all five languages. That is, almost anyone would find these things to be meaningful. However, one of them typically stands out above the others. And here here are three clues uh, for yourself or for someone else. Uh, Observe their behavior. If they're always giving people pat on the back or high fives, then you may think and consider maybe that's their love language. If they're always giving gifts to people, then that may be their language. Or if they're always giving other people encouraging words, So observe their behavior and observe your own behavior. Secondly, what do they complain about most often? The complaint reveals the love language. If a spouse says, for example, we just don't spend any time together. I feel like we're two ships passing in the night. Mm -hmm. They're telling you quality time is their language. Or if you go on a business trip and you come home and they say, you didn't bring me anything? They're telling you, gift is their love language. Or or, or if they say, I don't think you would ever touch me if I didn't initiate it. They're telling you, physical touch is their language. You see, we tend to get defensive if a spouse complains. Mm 
Mm-hmm. But really, they're giving us valuable information. And then the third clue is, what do they request most often? If they're saying periodically, can we take a walk after dinner? Or can we uh, go out to dinner? Or do you think we could get a weekend away? They're asking you for quality time. Or if you start to go on a business trip and they say, be sure and bring me a surprise, (laughs) they're telling you that gifts is their love language. If you put those three together, Joan, observe their behavior, what do they complain about, and Mm -hmm. what do they request, you can pretty well figure out a person's primary love language. Okay, so Dr. Chapman, now we figure out the love language of our partner. What can we expect to have happen? I think what happens is when we make the conscious choice to try to speak the other person's language, we begin to communicate love in a way that touches them emotionally. And their emotional love tank begins to fill up. They begin to genuinely feel loved by you. And over a period of time, their behavior begins to change, typically. Because when a person is being loved, because they so desperately need love, they are drawn to the person who is loving them. So it is a, it's a powerful way of doing, and they say it's a meaningful way of doing what you really may already be doing. You know, you, you probably are already speaking some of these languages, but if you're speaking your own language and not their language, they're not getting it emotionally. And the love languages helps you communicate love effectively. The book is The Five Love Languages by Dr. Gary Chapman. We have only touched upon this subject, so if you would like to learn more about this topic, the book, or Dr. Chapman, you can visit the website, fivelovelanguages.com, and that's the number five, fivelovelanguages.com. Dr. Chapman, thank you so much for being here. This information has saved so many relationships, and hopefully with our listeners having this knowledge, we'll save even more. So I'm so happy that you were here today to help teach us how to create loving, lasting relationships. Well, thank you, Joan. It was great to be with you. We'll be right back. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Hi, this is Joan Herman. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating or not. Being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit joanherman.com slash media training. That's joanherman.com slash media training. your health. Joining us to discuss how to diagnose and treat Lyme disease is Dr. Chitra Kodari, a board-certified family medicine and sports medicine physician at Bergen-Newbridge Medical Center. Welcome, doctor. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Dr. Lyme is one of the fastest-growing infectious diseases, and it's really hard to diagnose. Why is that the case? So, the thing about Lyme disease is that it is caused by black-legged tick or deer ticks, which are very small insects that um, can um, get on our bodies. And oftentimes, we won't even know that we've been bitten um, and that we've had Lyme disease transmitted to us. And so, this makes the infection kind of difficult to to catch until someone has become symptomatic or is already showing signs of Lyme disease. What would some of the early symptoms be? So early on with Lyme disease, the first thing that we tend to notice is a rash at the site of of the bite. So this is a a very classic rash that that one might notice where we call this a target lesion or a bullseye lesion, where you have redness at the site of the bite, and then there is a central clearing, almost uh, sort of a lighter sort of color in the center of, of that, that red patch. And, and this is what we call a sort of target lesion. And this is a very characteristic or very classic sign of, of Lyme disease. My son was diagnosed with Lyme last summer. And 
the way he presented, he had a, a very wide rash on his side that I actually thought was a cellulitis. So how common is that type of a rash when, when it's not the bullseye? Sure. So yeah, very often um, along, you know, and it's very important to distinguish as well. So this target bullseye or or target lesion or bullseye lesion uh, tends to, uh, you know, get confused also with sort of an allergic reaction. So when a tick bites us and there is, um, you know, a, a transmission of, of Lyme, sometimes there can also be an allergic reaction where you get a more classic, just, you know, uh, diffusely red rash. Maybe in, in the case of your son, you had more of, you know, um, uh, you have that redness with uh, more of an allergy than you do what we call an erythema migrans lesion. Um, and, and that's the target lesion. Uh, sometimes you start off with the with the redness and you have this sort of patch, then which then progresses to the target lesion or, or to the bullseye. But it is quite common to see that in a, a good number of cases. Um, and, um, and oftentimes, sometimes people can also have other constitutional symptoms like fevers, headaches, joint pain, muscle aches, um, and sometimes fever is not as common, but fevers as well, where they sort of just don't feel well. Um, and and they have the rash as well. So, um, you know, again, nonspecific symptoms, but, you know, when you have a rash and you have these other symptoms associated with it, you know, one of the, the classic, you know, one of the things to think about definitely is Lyme disease. If you are suspecting Lyme, how do you go about making the diagnosis? Sure. So, you know, with uh, if you are suspecting Lyme, um, you... Um, definitely, you know, one thing is to check for exposure and to see what the person has done in, you know, prior to these symptoms presenting to know if they've been in, you know, classically Lyme is found between, you know, May and September is most common time, uh, common time during the year where you have an increased risk of, of uh, contracting Lyme, especially in sort of grassy wooded areas uh, where there may be more ticks uh, that can, that can sort of, sort of jump onto us. Um, and so looking at that exposure, seeing if they have um, a tick bite, if they, they've, you know, had a known tick bite, if they have uh, been in an area like that, it's, it's one thing, you know, people don't always check for Lyme. We should if you are, you know, you know, doing anything outdoors or in an, in an area where we know there might be more ticks. It is always a good practice to always check uh, afterwards, sort of do a full body check to make sure that you haven't, you know, had any any ticks on you. So getting that exposure um, doing the, the history of, of making sure that, you know, you haven't had a tick bite. Um, and then the next, um, the next, you know, once you, you exhibit signs and symptoms of, of Lyme, and if we're suspecting it, the next step is to do a blood test. Um, usually these blood tests are done a few weeks after the suspected, um, you know, Lyme disease, because it takes a few uh, weeks for these antibodies to form in our blood to be picked up by the blood test. Now, if we are suspecting Lyme heavily, again, if you're exhibiting signs of symptoms of a rash and these other symptoms of, of fatigue and joint pain, um, sometimes we go ahead and treat even without this blood test if we strongly suspect that someone might have it and they've been exposed. And what would that treatment be? So Lyme disease is a disease that is spread by a bacteria. Um, and so the bacteria is carried by our, these deer ticks or these black leg ticks and transmitted to us. And so the treatment consists of antibiotic therapy. Um, and so, um, you know, there are, you know, the most common antibiotic used is known as doxycycline, and it's given for a few weeks uh, in order to make sure that we've cleared the bacteria uh, that is causing Lyme disease. So once someone finishes the course of treatment, is there ever a time he or she could say, okay, good, this is behind me, I'm done? Or is Lyme always a consideration for their future? So most of the time in, in I would say, a good number of cases, you would have, you know, complete resolution of the Lyme. Now, Lyme disease comes in different stages. We have the early disease where you have just this rash and plus or minus maybe some, some mild symptoms of, you know, we were talking about joint pain, muscle pain, fevers. Um, there may be mild symptoms of that along with the rash, and that's considered sort of an early stage. Um, there are two other stages of, of Lyme, where we, which we call uh, early disseminated and, and late disseminated. Um, and basically, those two kind of show more severe characteristics of Lyme, where we might have sort of heart involvement or um, neurologic symptoms um, that may present late when we haven't caught it at the early stage. 
Now, most of the time when we treat with antibiotics at any of these stages, we should have complete resolution of the symptoms. In very rare instances, there is um, a syndrome known as post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome, where some people, and, and I think the, the percentage that, that I, I you know, have recently seen is about maybe about 5 to 15% of people where they may have some non-specific symptoms, whether it, you know it's fatigue that sort of is ongoing or, or joint pains. Um, and, and this may persist for, for months after completion, after they've completed the full course of antibiotics, they have sort of these symptoms that sort of uh, linger on. Uh, but what they have noticed you know, with studies of, of these people is that within six to 12 months of ongoing symptoms, most people do still resolve most of these symptoms. They, they, the majority of these symptoms improve in six, six months to a year. And if our listeners would like to get more information, you can visit newbridgehealth.org. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book. You've made a substantial financial investment in getting the project done. And you have a beautiful publication with your name on the cover. So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life Book Club, a resource guide created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life includes the work of some of the most inspirational and influential authors in the world. Shouldn't you be there too? Let's get started. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. In a moment, cancer changed our lives forever. At this moment, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is saving lives with pioneering research and care. And we'll never have to pay St. Jude for anything, ever. At this moment, she wants to be in her own bed. I want to be back at school with my friends. I want to be outside playing. Please take a moment and visit stjude.org today. For joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital articles, check out our team and book club, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow us on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.